So this is, uh, we're referring to this as chat PDT and uh, somewhat coincidentally, we wanted to talk about AI today. So in this safe space among these three white fellows um, and me making four, this is a place where we can share ideas. And what's great about this is we all care about each other and we're able to come together and share opinions, thoughts, feelings, and help motivate and inspire each other for the week. And um, everybody that listens in, and I've gotten some good positive feedback, I'm, I, I think Ryan has too. Um, so I've got Shannon to my left, Ryan straight ahead, and Blake to my right. Um, but I've, I've been hearing some good positive feedback on people that are enjoying uh, the stories and enjoying the insights. And then um, this new format where we're doing a, a, a quicker RPE, we're, we're not taking it all the way to exertion, but um, we're trying to get the um, level and consistency high enough so we can put out the best product possible. So um, the first things that we're going to talk about at the top of the show, um, since Ryan wasn't here last week, we wanted to get his take on the uh, financial discussion that we had. We still need to get into the AI discussion a little bit. Um, and then Blake has got to take off because he's got to go do his civic duty. And I could talk all day about the importance of jury service. And so <laughs> I appreciate your service today. Thank you, Blake. Um, but why don't we start with Ryan? And your thoughts, you've had a chance to listen, but uh, we haven't released the last episode on uh, financial advice, but as a, as a follow-up to the financial advice, yeah. Ron, what are your thoughts? I was, I was really impressed with uh, the ideas that came forth amongst you guys. I thought there was a, a lot of good thoughts and conversation happening there. Um, one thing I wanted to elaborate on that you guys touched on was you know, what to do with your money and how to handle investments and that kind of stuff. And I guess my thought goes to the fact that I see that being regarded as two different things. One thing is what I call financial coaching, which is sort of the, the discipline and the understanding of money and having uh, a budget, just knowing how your money works for you, um, all those things, just kind of the, the discipline and the understanding of income, budgeting, and spending patterns to, to allow you the freedom to then get to what I think is a sort of a different animal, which is the financial advisor piece. And that, that avenue is, is sort of the, the emphasis on, okay, you now have some financial flexibility. What's the best way to utilize the resources that you have sort of acquired and accumulated? And, and you talk about, you know, Edward Jones advisors or real estate investments and those kinds of things. So I think those are both very important things. I almost feel like there's more of a need for the, the coaching side of it. But like we've talked about, I've kind of had conversations with you guys individually a little bit about this too. And it's like, um, the financial coaching piece requires a little more discipline and some hard decisions and stuff. And maybe not everybody's really interested in making some of those sacrifices that would be required. But, um, but yeah, no, you guys really nailed it. I thought it was well done. And I think that being able to be frugal and play things close to the belt for periods of time gives you the the freedom long term. And I guess returning to our, our conversations about like uh, comfort and ease and lack of like motivation and discipline, I think towards money, you could say that it is just sort of, I think we get caught up in the short term view oftentimes. 
and don't take the long view of the smart but unattractive investments of time or choosing to go without when you could right now at any time have anything you want. So I guess it sort of marries into this the same philosophies we've been talking about that are not just in the terms of money. Um, but yeah, no, I guess that's a couple thoughts on that. And yeah, what are your what are your guys' thoughts on you know there's people who when they're younger in their 30s, 40s, they decide to spend a lot of their money and travel and go do awesome things and not necessarily put a bunch of money away um, for their future. <clears throat> and then you got the people who don't do anything in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and they're, all they do is save, 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 save. So do you guys, are you trying to be more balanced or, or what's, what's the right way or how have you kind of looked at that? I think that's a good point yeah. as, as far as like nothing, tomorrow's not promised and yeah, exactly. Because when it, it when it comes down to it, it I mean that is it. It's like you're not promised to make it to 40, 50, 60. So it's like, you know, live every day is your last. There's that whole thing. But also, it's like you got to be <laughs> smart about it. You need some money once, you know, if you get to retirement and what do you guys think? I mean, I think we've all seen the other side of that where there's people who are like, "Man, I didn't realize I was going to be 50 tomorrow and here I am," you know. So I think it's a balance and I mentioned the term conscious spending last week but I think the first question to ask yourself is what actually brings me joy you know I think a lot of people they piss away their money when they're young just because they're not being um, wise with how they use it and, and so I think the balance is you need to decide you know what things bring me joy um, for me one of those things is travel and, and so you spend you need to spend some of your money um, you need to do things with your money you can't just put it all under your mattress then someday be miserable and realize you didn't have a life experience but you spend solely on the things that bring you joy and you try and eliminate all the other fluff that doesn't bring meaning to your life you know i i've always been very frugal and um i had a conversation with a couple of friends and, and they were kind of saying that they're like you know you have a good career now you have money you have all these you know quote unquote things that are desirable um but like when is enough is enough and so i've kind of made rules for myself that yeah i mean i don't eat out um, I drive a reasonable car. I, I don't buy new clothes all the time. Like none of those things bring me joy. And so I, I'm able to save money in those ways, but I'm committed to a couple, couple times a year, I'm gonna go on a nice trip, a fun trip, because that is something I know I will regret if I don't go and see the world. I don't really care that I've been wearing the same clothes since high school, because that doesn't change my perception of the world or myself. But going and seeing the world is something I have a desire to do. And so I've taken the stance of, I, I put money away and I'm trying to invest in my future. I wanna have my kids to have a better life than I do. When I have children, I don't want them to have a stressed life. Um, and that's not to say I'm just going to spoil them rotten, but I want ease of not, you know, having to freak out every night or we can be able to pay our bills. And, and so you have to do some responsible things, but I also want to have life experience. And so eliminate things that don't bring me joy and decide where do I actually reap the benefit of spending my money. And I'm going to, I'm going to put some there. I want to hear Blaine's thoughts real quick though. I want to say I feel like it's a almost a generational shift and we've talked about, oh, I don't want to be put in a generational box, <laughs> you know, especially. That's Blaine. my joke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, but Whatever I feel boomer. like, Blake, you're you're not unique in the in your uh, your your feelings of maybe um, spending habits going towards the experiential rather than materialistic mm -hmm. side, a accumulating things and stuff rather than spending money on memories and travel and you know it, putting yourself in an environment with loved ones maybe where you're doing something unique but but uh let's hear your thoughts blaine so i've got a couple of things to say and then i gotta get blake's thoughts before he takes off today for um 
jury service, but, and I can't remember if I've talked about this before, but there's this idea and these studies that are done that the frontal lobe doesn't actually fully fuse in males until they're between the ages of 27 and 30, whereas in females, they fuse at a younger age, between 21 and 23. And so the ability to make rational decisions is not, you're not even able to do it until you reach a certain age. So I think it's hard to put large amounts of money into people's hands before they're actually even ready to make a rational decision. And to expect too much from a person that that's, is that young, I think is a hard road to hoe. Um, another thing I was going to say is Blake was kind of talking about his future and kids. One thing I would just kind of say to people in general is that we have these overarching goals and big things that we want to accomplish. And one thing that I, I've kind of realized over time, and I'm still working on this, I, I don't have it figured out, but I need to, and if I could coach something or preach something, it would be, be satisfied a little bit more with where you're at and where you've come as opposed to looking so much at what you don't have, kind of be grateful for the thing that you have. I know it's easy to say it's harder to actually live, but don't expect that something is necessarily going to happen, whatever it is in the future that you have that you think that you're going to achieve, because if it doesn't come, it creates this false expectation, and then you're perpetually sad because you didn't achieve it. So, um, maybe looking at it more as what have I got today and what can I do today to make that slightly better as opposed to I'll be happy when I have X. Um, one other thing I was going to say about jury service, just because I think it's interesting, jury service for uh, all those that don't know, I'm the judge for the municipal court. That's not circuit court. Blake's going to go over to circuit court. But jury service is so important because it's one of the last things that we're called the service to do in our community. There's still drafts for males, so you still have to register for the draft. You're not required to vote. You're not required to do much of anything in this life other than pay your taxes or else you'll go to jail. But jury service is still one of these last things you have to do. And jury service is one of the few things where your vote really, really counts because you're going to either be one of six or one of 12 in a case and your decision can greatly impact one other individual's life. And you hold uh, their circumstances, the balance, in your own hands. It's one of those last few things in this, uh, this country and in this life that I think is just personally so important. One of the videos that I show folks before they actually start their jury services, it's called Justice for All, that um, the former Supreme Court Justice for Oregon uh, put on and it goes through and walks through why jury service is so important. So I really appreciate when people that are called to service on jury service appear, they have a good attitude and an open mind so that they're not pre, they don't have any preconceived notions about what it's going to be, or they're not prejudging the case. Um, so thank you, Blake. And then with that, those kind of thoughts, I wanted to get so the shift to this AI discussion that we promised at the last at the end of a couple episodes ago. So um, Blake talked about that there had been a call for a moratorium or a pause on AI technology, and we referred to this as Chat PDT. You know, the it's it's a good play on words instead of Chat GPT, right? So. Um, for those who don't understand that, that's Chat Pendleton. <laughs> <laughs> PDF, Thanks for clearing PDT, that up. Yes, yeah. PDT, yeah, not Chat GPT. So, 
Blake, real kind of before you have to run away, can you give me your big thoughts on AI technology, where it's going, and your overall kind of position statement on it? Yeah, I I think AI is inevitably part of our future. Um, It's going to take over a lot of menial, repetitive, or purely data input tasks. So honestly, talking about finances, I think a lot of financial advisor positions, a lot of data input positions, a lot of positions that follow a formula are going to be replaced by AI. And the question is just how quickly. I think it's inevitable. And and so there are going to be certain things that we will always need human input for. Um, things that don't always follow an algorithm because not every human is the same. But a lot of decision-making, I believe, is going to be outsourced to AI, and I believe the landscape of our jobs is going to be totally different. Um, There's two facets to this. One is robotics, um, and robotic AI, I think, will replace a lot of menial tasks. You know, McDonald's putting together a hamburger. They just launched a couple McDonald's that are fully robotic, no humans at all. One in Colorado, right? Yeah, I think one in Colorado, one in Texas. There's a couple others. But we're going to have – there's going to be an element of AI like that that just eliminates tasks that really don't require much human input. That, depending on your opinion, could be good or bad. But it's also going to replace a lot of tasks that right now we view as important jobs, but they just follow formulas. And um, like Blaine mentioned, they're putting a pause on it. But the question is just how fast and how do we prevent this thing from, rather than being helpful, being harmful to our society? And Blake, I know you got to run, but give me this, give me the counter argument to this point, because this is something I was going to make. Okay. <laughs> Ryan's you, got it. You have to, to, okay. So to be continued. Thank you, Blake. See you guys. So, Later, buddy. Take care. Ryan, what's your kind of thought and position on AI, where it's going, what's happened so far? Yeah, it's really interesting. And this um, has been something kind of in the back of my mind, but I mentioned maybe before that Lex Friedman is a podcaster I like to listen to, and he had he's had a lot of discussions with AI. His background is sort of in robotics and artificial intelligence research and uh, computer engineering. And he had a discussion with an, a guy who was one of many that are trying to gain traction for a petition to put a six-month pause on AI. And Was that that guy with like that, that crazy name to say i think i watched some of that it's like it's, i wish i knew his name like I'd a have, russian name or something i'd like have that. to look it up yeah but basically the idea is that they just think that's the most amount of time they can legitimately actually get a pause for and that's just long enough to try to get some systems in place and some legislation because um if if there's no requirement to pause then any company who's involved in it would be really setting themselves back to just voluntarily choose not to pursue the those systems further and so their their case to be made is that if we put a pause on everything it allows everybody to not feel the pressure of having to push the envelope so we can get our feet under us a little bit here but but to to blake's you know i think he was trying to touch on this briefly but the optimistic side of ai takeover with jobs and with the world is that maybe we can find ourselves spending more time doing meaningful things that are not work related and and find purpose in that and so you picture like oh maybe my my ai system at home can cook for me and manage my diet and nutrition and do all these things and even you know does a bunch of work functions for me while i get to sit on the beach and drink my ties or or whatever you find meaning in I guess I caution the biggest caution and thought that I go towards is that you can't discount the meaning behind things that are seem monotonous in life. Like nobody wants to 
sweep the floor and unload the dishwasher and some of those things that I think can still give a lot of meaning. And so, I don't know. I, it's sort of ties in my mind to this comfort crisis and this, you know, convenience society where I don't know that it's necessarily better for us that a lot of things are done on our behalf while we just kind of sit back. So, but well, of course, the counter argument to any pause is that there could still be bad actors that aren't, are going to ignore the pause and will just continue to work on it, even though they've called for a pause mm. and then they're going to continue to be able to advance. It's like the nuclear war. You know. Well, it's yeah, it's kind of like an arms race. <laughs> yes, right? and what was the philosophy? Gosh, I wish I remember the name. There was this philosophy he was talking about where this has happened in many times in history where it's like everybody's approaching the cliff rapidly, like racing to develop yeah. something, and everybody is aware that like maybe this is not a great thing, but this is a problem, but it's like there's no one person that's really has the ability to say like, stop, hang yeah, on. Yeah, nobody know? can yeah. shut it down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in that same episode, was that the one, I think they also touched on just like potential AI consciousness. And it's like, where is that, where is that boundary? And yeah. like, if it gets, if it gets to that, then what happens? Like who's, who's to say that that couldn't happen? You know, there's lots of people out there in AI and they're like, that's, you know, that's not possible. It's not going to happen. Right. And again, I'm, I'm a little bit out of my element, but on one, I think that they're saying that you know, some make the case that without having like a, a tangible physical body to integrate within the world, like a robot or something, that it's it's impossible to really map consciousness and mm -hmm. and that AI exists in sort of this like floating sphere. But there's others that say that like maybe this consciousness already exists. And and I think that some of the concerns that the folks have expressed is that there's many things that should have been like kind of red flags, like let's slow down and look at this. And one of them was giving AI the ability to write code. Yeah. And and so that, that scares the heck out of me. Yeah. And so you um, you do that. And then now everybody's I think is somewhat familiar with like chat GPT where, um, you know, information is being gathered and absorbed at a rate that's just well beyond anything ever in history oh, so it's just compounding insanely yeah exactly and this is going like all the time always learning always new iterations of everything and yeah i mean they're coming out with new new versions of chat gpt all the time and it's growing i was watching a video yesterday of a ai um air hockey table this oh, yeah. guy was playing and the the other side was just moving around blocking him and and playing it's it's wild stuff did it just did he compete at all or did it just totally destroy him uh they were going back and forth yeah. uh i don't think i watched the the full video but mm. um going back to the regulation side of thing yeah it's like <clears throat> we could stop right now in the u.s and start putting regulations around this thing but that means china is getting six months ahead with with ai and can we afford china or russia or whoever and can we afford to let that time go? It's hard not to be alarmed by the fact that, yeah, when humanity is sort of at its each other's throats more than ever in some sense that to think that all of a sudden we would really pause and collectively agree on what makes sense to move forward in the world. I just it's hard to believe that that's <laughs> that's why I said it's like, you know, it, it reminds me of, you know, nuclear war and well, nuclear war is another one of those examples where it's like 
everybody and their brother knows that maybe that's not a great <laughs> idea. Yeah. But it's like tensions escalate, people get fired up. There's, and There's bad actors. Yeah, exactly. They're going to lie and say they don't have them when they do. Or And I can't sit here and tell you I know the landscape for nuclear holocaust and weapons being launched, but it's just like... I don't, I mean, I feel like we're closer now than we've been in the past and we know a lot more about the damage that can do. So what in the world, we're just sort of like running towards a cliff and what's going to be the thing that, that really starts to get us to take hold and slow down a little bit. But well, these are some big ideas. Um, so have you guys ever heard the term in construction that water will find a way? So this idea that if you're building something, let's say you're working on a roof, and there's any gap um, in the roof or in anything that you're doing, especially on the exterior of your house, if you've left any opening, then water is going to find a way into that crack. It, for me, that analogy is the same for AI, it, that AI and, and also just technology in general. Technology is going to find a way because it's relentlessly pursuing. It's kind of like the Terminator down to the last pinky is going to chase you down and it's not going to let you mm. go. Um, so we can try and put a pause on it or, or whatever, but technology is still going to advance. My kind of hot take on AI is that I'm just not as alarmed as everybody else is. It's over a period of time, there's been advancements, just like there's advancements in anything else. And the advancements that I've seen recently are kind of the logical next iterations. Um, but to me, there's when we look at things like, for instance, ChatGPT, there's some interesting things it can do from a content perspective. One thing that it can do is it can really uh, combine from these really disparate resources information that's um for lack of a better word it's more informative in nature than creative or compelling and i think that the so far from what i've seen i haven't seen any really interesting or compelling writing in the sense of like a fiction piece or a a biography that's written in and put in a storytelling format that i'm engaged and i want to read it's just kind of like wikipedia at this point it's like it's doing something to give me information, but it's not going to draw me in. And until they can kind of make that next leap and it's actually really, really interesting and creative, then I'm just not that concerned from a content perspective. I don't think it's going to oust any writers out there that are better than the AI technology. Mm -hmm. The second thing is this idea of robots, that we've been using robots to do manual tasks for a long time at this point. I mean, we've been using conveyor belts since the Model T. So this is not a new phenomenon or idea. It's just that we're doing it in a slightly different way. So I, to me at this point, I'm just not that concerned. And I think that a lot of people, if they're alarmist, I, I don't think that they're unreasonable in sounding the alarm. I just kind of float to the other end where I say, this is going to be inevitable in one way or the other. I don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, but it's not happening tomorrow. And if we want to prevent this really concerning thing, we've got a bigger problem. And I'll tell you what the bigger problem is. We can't build a consensus in this country about anything right now. <laughs> yeah. And the problem really starts with Congress because Congress has all of this power over purse strings and 
taxation and legislation. And we can't get a consensus even from our elected officials to move forward on any meaningful legislation that is actually going to do anything. And that to me is a problem because if you can't build a consensus among these people that are supposed to be the decision makers, how are we supposed to stop this freight train of innovation? Mm -hmm. We can't because nobody's going to step up and be that voice of reason. And if they are, they get shouted down by the mob. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I think that that's really the bigger issue. I don't think it's so much about this technology thing. It's the people behind it are not able to come to a consensus to move forward. Maybe all Congress members should be AI. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, your point is, is very good, Blaine, that there's definitely this big sense of, boy, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but if you just went around and polled Americans, the, I would say that a vast majority would either think that their government officials are either incompetent or corrupt and are not acting in the best interests of the people, and that whatever your worldview is, that it's you know corporate takeover or just like... Uh, not you know not necessarily qualified to to yeah it's it's very it's a very difficult landscape that's for sure well and i don't mind saying this because it it sounds like they're hot takes but they're not that hot the first thing that you need to do to fix the issue is take money out of politics the citizens united decision from the supreme court was wrongly decided money does not equal speech and when they made that decision it was wrong and they should undo that starry decisis is dead at this point because In the most recent case that overturned Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court basically said we don't care about stare decisis anymore. So we don't have to look at past precedent when we're looking at a current case. So it doesn't matter anymore that this case was decided in a certain certain way, even as recently as the 2000s. We can still undo that. We can just say, okay, we were wrong at that time. Money doesn't equal speech, and it's clearly corrupting the gears of our society. Right. So that's one thing. Take the money out of politics. The second is incorporate term limits. When when the country was founded and people started representing their local areas, they worked. They were working in the fields. They were doing agriculture. They were uh, raising livestock. And then they would go to Washington and represent their small group of constituents for a limited period of time. The idea of representation was never originally supposed to be that I'm going to make this a career. Yeah, lifetime politician. Right. That was never the point. And I and think sorry, now that they're and please come come back to your thought, mm-hmm. but just to finish this. The fact that now we have these career politicians that are taking money from these special interest groups is continuing to corrupt the cycle. And I think most people would agree with this, but the problem is the people that can change it are the people that are benefiting from it. So how is it ever going to change? Yeah. So it's a good question. But I think when you're saying career politicians and and, uh, people that used to work, I think that that's a little bit of a better outlook for me because then it's not a malicious act as much as it is just maybe negligent that you're just not really in tune to what's happening and how the atmosphere of the every man's lifestyle is because you've become a career politician and you're not just putting in your two years of service outside of your day-to-day, you know, working the family farm or whatever it is. So 
So that's interesting. I'm also curious. I heard a uh, a discussion a while ago about dark money. And where does that stand today? Are you familiar with that? Well, in general, what I was talking about this, um, this idea of Citizens United and mm-hmm. money equals speech. Dark money in one sense. Now, it can mean different things depending on who's framing. We talk sometimes about context and about how we're framing this question. Dark money can mean that they're funneling money through a pack or a special interest group so that it gets to the politician, but they don't really see where the money is coming yeah, from. Yeah, so ba- basically, if I'm understanding and sharing with the listeners correctly, dark money is essentially like political campaign funded money by entities that don't have to reveal their identity, right? So a special interest group or a corporation could basically buy the campaign of a political individual that they want to succeed and not have to really let the public know who they are. Is that correct? Well, that's one of the definitions, right? And that's one of the ways you can look at it. And this is why my whole point of taking money out of politics is one of my big ideas in general that I've always believed in. So either putting caps on it or shedding sunshine on the issue so we know exactly where the money is coming from so that when a person is receiving political contributions, you can't hide it or filter it through a PAC, a political action committee. Mm-hmm. You can't do it in that way. Well, and the fact that you know someone in like Nancy Pelosi's position can work the stock market the way she has is just, it's crazy to me. Okay, all of the politicians... We, and yeah. I'm not singling out anyone. I'm not singling mm-hmm. out Nancy or Trump or anybody. Mm-hmm. Every one of them that participates in the political system is taking advantage of the system. And what Trump says is, I do it because I'm smart. And yeah, exactly. If, and if you talk to the other people, they're going to say the same thing. Or if, if they're being intellectually <laughs> if, honest, yeah, then they'll yeah. say the same thing. Yeah. It's wild. I was actually going to ask you earlier when you were... Um, talking i wanted to get your thoughts i mean because i feel like people felt like donald trump wasn't bought and so that's why they liked him so much what oh, were you, people what, bought him i mean yeah so what were your thoughts on that it's all the same it's he just became another political action figure it mm-hmm. plug and play it's yeah. and to me and my whole thought on trump running and his original intent behind running was he didn't ever expect to get elected. I didn't think so either. And his goal was to just build additional name recognition and mm-hmm. sell a product. And when he got nominated, he was like, well, I guess I got to keep going because <laughs> I've got all this momentum behind me and I can't stop now. But I don't think his goal was ever to get elected. I think it was just to put his name in there. And it was such a uh, crowded field when he started originally that I don't think that he imagined that he would rise to the top if, if he's being honest about it. So I would agree with you. That's exactly what I thought, too. <laughs> and I think it's important. I'm, I'm glad that you point out that this is not a left or right issue, because I think that's where a lot of people get hung up is it's our team. It's their team. It's whatever any means necessary. Our party needs to come forward because we're the ones that are going to bring change. And it's like this is a systematic issue that spans every political party. Well, and I'm not anything. I, I don't see I don't view myself as anything anymore, because the way that I mean, if you look at somebody like. John F. Kennedy, uh, who was a Democrat in his time, or you look at Bill Clinton, who was a Democrat in his time, those guys would be seen as conservatives by today's standards. Mm -hmm. Bill Maher. And (laughs) I identify more with their politics and, and especially with the way that they governed 
and you look at what Clinton did for the economy. He was one of the most successful politicians for booming the economy of all time. Not his personal beliefs, not what he did, but the things he was able to accomplish. And there's other Republican presidents that have been extremely successful as well. To me, it's not a question of right or left. There's no party for a moderate anymore. There's no room for a moderate voice. Everything gets drowned out by the talking points from either one of these perspectives. And neither side has it completely right. They have pieces of it right on both sides, mm -hmm. but none of it has it pulled all the way to, together. And in, and the re, the thing is, is and I think I might have talked about this before, and I apologize if I have, but when you look back at when the Constitution was actually drafted and put together, and have I talked about this on the podcast before? I don't think so. Go ahead. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so when the Constitution was originally written, we're talking about a small group of white guys that are coming together and they're having to compromise on a lot of key issues and these things are being hashed out and rewritten over and over again until they can build the consensus. And one of the things that Thomas Jefferson is famous for saying is that he thought that the, the Constitution needed to be rewritten every so often so that the values and norms of the people of that time would be uh, properly realized and recognized. And the problem that we have at this point is that we now have a constitution that was written in the 1700s that is supposed to be representative of the people in 2023, which it's just not possible because what was going on at the time when the constitution was written, just in the terms of they only used the word man instead of man and woman. And they referred to black people in a different way and just the societal norms and what was expected right. and the rights given to everybody was just so shifted. And then technology, look at the technology that existed then versus you just couldn't. And the thing that Thomas Jefferson was saying was, I recognize that these things are going to change over time and that's why it needs to be rewritten. And part of the value of rewriting it is that you force the people to come to the table and build a consensus about what is important for our constituents today. And so it's my opinion. Look, I love the Constitution more than anybody in this, anybody that you might talk to, because I love America. I believe in the principles of America. Mm -hmm. But in that respect, Thomas Jefferson had it right. And I think that the Constitution needs to be rewritten, not in the sense that it gives up the fundamental ideas. I agree with the fundamental ideas, but it needs to be rewritten by the people today for the values of today so that we can build a consensus. The problem that we have right now, and it, I'm, I've alluded to it back with the Congress right now, is we can't build a consensus. We need to rewrite it so we can start building that consensus back and let Americans believe in the, in the promise of America again. Blaine, it sounds like you're running 2024. <laughs> These are the, the thoughts that I have so often, and I don't share them all the time because they seem kind of radical. They're not mm -hmm. that radical. They're, no. they're rooted in history and they're super logical. And most people, when they hear them, they go, yeah, I could, I could see that. That, that, that makes sense to me. Blaine wants to tear up the constitution. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to uh, rewrite it. The how, way... how often would, would you say it needs to be rewritten? You so, said every 12 years? I think Thomas Jefferson some, said something like every 12 to 18 years. I think the idea was that for each new generation, 
that they would have a constitution rewritten that represented that generation's ideals and norms. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the people that are this older generation necessarily are speaking for the younger generation anymore. The values change over time. And certainly if you look at a group of um, just call it baby boomers today, their values and norms are substantially different from those in the 1890s. And we're not even talking about the 1790s. We're talking about the 1890s compared the 1890s to people that were born in the 1940s and 1950s. It's just, it shifts so much over time that for you to say realistically that those should be the same, that that should be the same document that governs these people. It's not realistic. Mm -hmm. And it's, and that's why it's become so unwieldy because they're trying to pigeonhole this document into today when it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Obviously the conser- conservative side, you know, they're the ones who want to stick to the constitution we have, don't want to change much. Um, do you see a way to open that conversation? Because, I, I, I mean, it hasn't really been done well. Well, I, I consider myself more of a conservative, um, especially when you look at in terms of financial. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm financially conservative. I, I am in favor of smaller government and smarter spending in general. So I don't think it's a conservative viewpoint that they want to keep the Constitution because I want to keep constitutional rights. I'm not talking about the Bill of Rights or the constitutional rights. I'm talking about the actual constitutional document that lays out the framework for our democracy, not necessarily the Bill of Rights. That that came separately. That wasn't; those were amendments to the Constitution. Okay. I'm mm-hmm. not talking about that. Um, but to answer the question about whether or not that can be done, no, it can't be done. It's the same reason that we can't build a consensus among our congress- congressional representatives. So no, it's not realistic. What I'm talking about is what I think is necessary to make the country better. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's necessarily going to happen, but I'm not moving either. I love this country and I love (laughs) going to Canada. No, (laughs) I wouldn't necessarily think the landscape is much better there, honestly, but that's just my opinion. But I'm also the one that I'm going to wrap myself in the flag, screaming about how much I love America and how I'm a patriot. But at the same time, freedom of speech allows me to express these ideas about how I think I can make the country better. Mm -hmm. That's one of my fundamental freedoms that I have. It's the First Amendment, the first, arguably the most important, that First Amendment. That's why they made it first. That's why they made it number one. Mm -hmm. In America, we talk about number one. And number two was right to bear arms. Arguably, they thought that was the second most important one. Mm -hmm. So when we- At that time. At that time. I mean, they were thinking forward. They were trying to, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, I think the landscape of like arming and... Has just changed so much. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm a pro 2A person, but I think, you know, they think it's a way to protect yourself from the government. And obviously, I think with or without guns, you can't really protect yourself from the government. So, well, the, the original text, I mean, the well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state was read out as what's called a prefatory clause by Justice Scalia. And he was a originalist, meaning that he read the actual 
um, words as written on the paper as meaning they're immutable. You can't change the characteristic nature of what was written on the paper. So he ironically read that out, even though he was a, a strict constructionalist, which is this kind of, um, it's almost like a fantasy that he could read out something that he holds as this fundamental belief that you can't read it out yet. He read it out. The well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state was written at the time because we were worried about the, the tyranny of the monarchy. Right. And that we were concerned that the federal government was going to be become so federally powerful that it was going to overtake the individual states. And so the states needed to be able to rise mm -hmm. up against the federal government. And so it wouldn't become a monarchy. Mm -hmm. And eventually the states, instead of having state militias, they combined into a national or a federal army. Mm -hmm. And we basically disbanded all the state militias. So at that point, you could argue that the Second Amendment should have been rewritten, and we should have either said a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state is no longer important because we no longer have individual state militias, mm -hmm. and instead, let's just say the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Yeah, and I think that's more appropriate. And again, I guess just to, to share a quick thought, and it's not that I think we should uh, each you know house ourselves with armaments to be able to overthrow the government or or anything like that but just to say that um, it's not the government's responsibility to control our ability to defend ourselves in our home to gather food from hunting and those types of things and it's it's hard it's interesting because you you know anything that can be applied blanket to an entire nation is so hard to grasp because like you just you just can't even really know every person and what their environment is to really understand why something is a cornerstone of of meaning and importance to some and to others just seems completely unnecessary or even reckless and dangerous and so mm -hmm. it, i just it makes me just think about this whole conversation we're having which is that the landscape is so complicated and, and there's such a contentious viewpoint and there's so many people in so many different environments that it just seems unwieldy to try to to get everybody on the same page well and i think we can all agree that certain people should not have firearms oh 100 percent. yeah i mean it, and that's a th another thing is like okay so i say i'm pro 2a but what does that mean does that mean like they should be handing out guns at convenience stores not necessarily there's it's so so much more complicated than just to say in a blanket statement well certainly felons shouldn't have firearms that's written right in that if you're a felon, felon in possession of a firearm is a felony in Oregon. Um, people that are mentally ill should not have firearms because they're not capable of making rational decisions. These are just, but these are not radical ideas either. I mean, if you listen to everything that I'm saying, what I'm saying is not that radical. It's just kind of logical. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what we're getting away from. Politics is that isn't logical anymore. Yeah, that's the exactly Shannon. Because yeah. well said, buddy. That's the problem, because if we put the logic back it's all pandering. in, it's all <laughs> pandering. I agree. But if we could just put the logic back in the horse sense mm -hmm. back into what people were doing and took the politics out, the people would be more well governed. Yeah. You know what? Do you think because I go back to this 
philosophy that I really hold dearly that hasn't been able to, I haven't been able to shake this whole localize everything philosophy that I've sort of ascribed to. And I think, you know, I guess in general, the philosophy is that like in every possible way, things are better for you and for your, your society. If you can localize most everything, your food, your politics, your entertainment and stuff like that. And I, I could go on a tangent there, but it's like, I wonder if there is just a way to sort of shrink the circle a little bit because we have so much information and so much reach all over the place. It's like, what if we really just tried to focus our energy on a regional or local level? We as a community, each individual person. It's like not each individual person. I don't even know what I'm saying, but I mean, we do sort of have this system of like, of governance that goes from the city to the county to the state to the feds but i don't know maybe there's a way to really deep dive in local vicinities with things that need change and and maybe that's a more realistic way to kind of grasp and harness what makes sense in your local community and what can actually get like smaller groups on the same page to have a dialogue and I'm not really sure what I'm describing, but it's just like, it feels like the world has just gotten so big for us. Yeah. And actually this was one of my big thoughts that I was going to bring to the table for the week is really similar to this. So I was even driving around here. There's not a lot of traffic, but there's still a good amount of people. And then if you go over to Hermiston, there's more people. We've kind of talked about that before. More traffic now. And then you go to tri cities and there's more people. It's just amazing to think about how many people there are in the world. If you start at kind of a local level and you just keep expanding out the amount of people and they, there's so many people, they almost become like, it's almost incomprehensible. And it becomes a thing where you start to say, it's almost so overwhelming that you have to just start thinking about your local area because you can't even comprehend. This is almost a point I was going to make with politics was I don't know how they're able to think about things on a national level. You, one of the things you were talking about was how do we apply something that's so broad blanketly across the masses? I think it's extremely difficult for that reason, mm -hmm. because and when we look back when the constitution was written, it's for 13 colonies and a, a fairly small amount of people. Whereas now we're applying it to 320, 340 million people in the United States. Now consider the entire world. And you're talking about 8 billion plus people. It's just so much that this is one of those thoughts where I, I start, you almost become inundated, overwhelmed with the information that what do you guys do as you're thinking about this, this uh, amount of, you know, how do we deal with that? What's the scope? Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's kind of the point you're making, Ryan, is that's when we need to start going back to local and thinking about how's the impact we can make local. And I, I think the big idea that you have is absolutely right. So the most important thing that we can do and make an impact on is our local environment, our local community. If we can make it better for the people around us. And that's why I focus so much on uh, kids and the kids activities, because I want to make it better for them to grow up in a community, foster that community, make the community better because 
then they are going to live in a safer place that is more comfortable with more opportunity and mm-hmm. more services available, right? And I think that that's kind of what you're getting at. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think you could t- you. I feel like I could write a book on just the different facets of how you could approach this, whether it's politics or food or entertainment with this, you know, trying to localize and shrink the circle a little bit. But but that's what it is. It's like, first of all, it's overwhelming to try to think about the mass landscape of everything everywhere. But second of all, you really have little to no control over that, you know, kind of, I guess, like the AI discussion. It's like this is a massive sweeping thing that is really going to impact the whole globe. But how much can you really have an input or a change on that process? Well, not near as much as maybe your local uh, city council and, you know, being a volunteer in your in your community, raising your kids well, eating locally sourced foods like those things shrink the circle. You have a greater impact on them and you're going to see the results of your efforts firsthand much more than you are you know, trying to influence policy across the entire country. Yeah, I mean, concentrating on what's right in front of us is, I think it's probably the easiest, the least anxiety inducing, (laughs) and probably the best for our communities and our states, our nation as like, if everyone was doing that, just doing their part, concentrating on their community, and and what's right in front of them. I think that that would make us a better nation. I, I mean, I can't imagine even being in the role of the like being president, you know? Oh, yeah. Try, like you can't please everyone anytime. And it's like every decision, whether it's president, governor, you know, so many different political positions that hold some some power, you're going to make decisions that upset a lot of people mm-hmm. and um it's just it's always crazy to me to think about being in one of those positions um as someone who <laughs> does not like it when people don't like him 100 <laughs> percent. Um, but yeah i think i think you know if community members could focus just on what's right in front of them and like blake was said like you know help the youth grow up and so that they're doing the same thing like if you can concentrate on those things that's that's the most important mm-hmm. but yeah i guess what's what's the process of of how we really get people to stick to that I yeah it's a good question i think it's makes things a lot more manageable for us but also returning to like like we said well the politicians at scale don't that you, you i can't really relate to somebody who lives in in some sense even in portland let alone seattle or or Philadelphia to really grasp and understand what their life and their environment is like. I'm really not qualified to try to cast judgment or, or make any kind of decisions that would affect their lives. Much the same, I feel like, with, you know, rural America. There's just so many, there's just so much, you know, variability amongst all that that, yeah, try to dial it in, I guess. Well, it's, there's like so many, there's things that come to mind, like, the wolf, the wolf problem we've had out in this area. And oh it's like, yeah, why don't get we, me started. Why should we be dictated by you know people in Salem for on on those types of things? Mm-hmm. Um, you know everything that happened with COVID. It's like should should different areas be treated differently because of the size of people and and all of that stuff. And and maybe there's you know stuff I don't know about that Blaine you could speak to. Well, about. and this is why it's almost like full circle to this constitution argument or constitution discussion. I'll I'll say 
And one of the ways that I think that, so what I'm talking about is not, we tear up the constitution and we rewrite it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we look at what it is now, what is logical for today and what could be replaced by something better. And how might you achieve that? So originally we had representatives from each one of the colonies that came together and they worked together to achieve a consensus and come up with a, a solution, right? Mm -hmm. So how might we do that today? It would be something similar in my mind where you're getting different people from the different regions that come together and build a consensus about what is still logical, what should we still have in the constitution today? But let's just look at something like taxation. So the way that money goes today, most of the things fund the Portland Metro, Salem, the Willamette Valley area, whereas here out in Eastern Oregon, we don't get the services that they get in that area. If you look at just measure 110, that decriminalized possession, possession amounts of hard drugs. So, and the statement that I make at this point is it seems like meth and heroin and cocaine and fentanyl are basically legal at this point because they're either issuing citations for $100 or they're not issuing citations and just grounding the drugs in the ground. But it's not addressing the fundamental problem. And this is not the police fault. This is the voters fault for passing this this measure. But the idea when it was passed was we're going to build these treatment facilities. Well, where are they being built? Yeah, They're being built in the Portland metro area. I don't see anything being done out here to address the addiction issue, which is substantial. And you couple that with the mental health issues with the substance abuse issues that are not being handled and people are not being able to get to receive treatment for their mental health issues. And this becomes untenable. So, what I'm saying is all of these things together, we need to be represented in these discussions and from just a taxation perspective. If we're paying taxes and those we're not receiving the services from those taxes, then something needs to change. Now look at that at a national level. We pay federal taxes. The federal tax money that you pay is a large percentage of what you're paying in taxes every year. What are you receiving back for those that money that you're you're sending? And is it the is it being spent in the best way? And if it's not, what's the remedy? Well, I would argue you need to go back to the way that the Constitution is written and the way that that money is being divided. And then is that appropriate? That's what these are the kinds of things that we need to look at as a society. I agree. And I, I'm not saying tear it down and then rewrite it. I'm saying, we need to do a thoughtful and careful examination of what's being done currently and then come to a consensus. Mm -hmm. Not rewrite, revise. <laughs> well, well, it could be a, a revamp. I mean, ideally is what we're doing, but mm -hmm. it's not that it's wrong. We need a constitution. Yeah. It's that we need to do it understanding that the geography, the people, the needs have changed and recognize that and understand that even the way that taxes are being spent is not optimized. And if this was a business, it would be a very poorly run business. So we need to change. And that was ironically or interestingly, one of the things Trump said he was going to do was he was going to run it like a business and run America like a business mm -hmm. and kind of get it back on track. But 
I think what's become clear is that the gears are so clogged up. No one person is the CEO of the company, Mm -hmm. right? So, and that's why we need to change kind of these articles of incorporation. We need to change the constitution so that we can actually affect change, not to put power into one person's hand. I'm not calling for a CEO. I'm calling for a better management of the resources. I agree. And one small example that you're describing with the taxes and the the resources that really don't benefit us is like the the statewide transit tax. So every employee in the state of Oregon is paying transit tax for the transit system that runs through the, you know, Portland area, Willamette Valley, whatever. And it's like, why why are we responsible for paying taxes for uh, amenities that are three hours away from us that we'll never see in person? Um, And I guess you know, I'm sure there's arguments to be made both ways. Well, rural rural America has more road paving and less population, so there's costs there, whatever. But um, but yeah, very interesting. Blaine, I wanted to go back, <laughs> bring this back to AI. Um, so I have heard that, and just like seen on Twitter, that there are a lot of artists that are kind of up in arms about AI, like all the new art that they're creating and mimicking and and kind of pulling from actual artists art and making new art. So I have, I have heard that. And then I also, I think I was listening to a podcast or I don't know if it was a clip or or what it was, but in terms of you were, you were talking about kind of like the, the creativity of AI and you're not seeing that quite yet. Um, and I think they were talking about chat GPT, maybe it was, um, the, the fourth version that came out um, and they were saying they give it a specific prompt for I don't remember what information it was but they wanted it to be they give it like three separate prompts they wanted this information um, and they wanted it spoken in the voice of this person and I think there was like one other thing and it came out with exactly what they asked for and it was and they actually showed the writer and she was like I wouldn't be able to tell the difference yeah between if that was my writing or not i i was gonna say that too i mean um actually i think jordan peterson was an example where he has like his book 12 rules for life and he submitted all his information to the <laughs> this is what it was yeah. i think yeah. he, he went to the ai system and basically said write me a 13th rule for life and he said that as he read it it was indistinguishable from his own writing and voice yeah um, I think that was, that's what it was so i think you know even if the creativity isn't necessarily there. I think it's on the way and, and remembering that what's happening is happening very fast and we're still in the infant stages of a very massive change. But well, when you look at my understanding of chat GPT at this point, and I'm not sure how much you've used it, but very one, little. <laughs> one of the things that's interesting, if you look at chat GPT is that right now it it's based on programming from humans. And the humans that are programming it are not allowing it to answer certain search functions. And even the answers that they give have a liberal slant slant to them. I've heard that. As you read them. And it's very apparent if you just ask it a couple of different questions or ask it in a different way. Or Anyway, there's examples of this. You can go and look it up. Woke AI. (laughs) But one of the things I was going to say about kind of copyright in general was that any time that it's pulling information, it's pulling it from currently available material. And so it necessarily is infringing on people's copyright mm-hmm. in order to rewrite that information. So if you're pulling from an original source and then you're rewriting it, 
at, at this point, there's still a strong argument that you're just violating their intellectual copyright for the original work. Well, definitely. And how do you not kind of stop and put regulations around that, you know, asking for the six months or whatever? Because, it, I mean, essentially, it's just stealing. It's stealing from, you know, yeah, different people's work. So when you look at, okay, write me a 13th rule, but it's, re it's based on the other 12, and then you go to the internet and you say, okay, these are the other 12 rules. Find me an example of something else that's similar, and then I just got to write it in a slightly different way. It's not that it's a new idea. It's that it's a new idea for that set of data, right? So it's not as if it's coming up with something new. It's right. coming up with something else that somebody else has already said. But what if it reaches a degree of data collection that it has everything? I guess that would be my argument. Well, and this is the same thing with going back to coding. So I think yeah, I, I, I've heard them talk about, you know, okay, so we teach them the coding, they're pulling all this coding in, and then they start teaching themselves their own new advanced coding that humans don't necessarily know or know how to keep up with. Well, it isn't, I mean... I guess they could study it slowly and learn it, but... Everything has almost been said or, or written in a way that like, really, okay, so if we think about ourselves as like a computer programmer, an AI system, really, we don't necessarily have like original ideas, do we? Aren't we kind of like a culmination of a formula of everything we've heard and learned and understood? And then we speak with our own voice based on what we think. Mm. Is So how does that relate to an AI system, which basically has an exponentially greater capacity and ability than we do to be a product of reflecting what they've gathered in their history. Because we believe we have conscious thought <laughs> and, and we don't believe AI has conscious thought or do they, or does it? <laughs> well, I guess what's the logical extension of this? I mean, where would it eventually go if they were able to, code i'm saying they or they're like this <laughs> it, they, them, they, they, it, whatever them, they. Um, whatever it is yeah but i mean Zer. let me think about it in a slightly different way if time travel exists and you could travel in the past then people from the future would be visiting us in the present right i mean that's kind of a logical or maybe they are and we don't know but um maybe we're the first iteration of it but i'm i'm i mean obviously they the thing, the it, the AI hasn't developed time travel. Otherwise they would be able to travel back and accelerate this or take it over sooner or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So unless this is the first time AI has been developed, but then they would be able to trans travel in the past. Anyway, this is just <laughs> a, but I'm just doing a thought experiment. Yeah. Right. So I don't think that there's an answer to this. I'm just saying, what is the log logical extension of them being able to teach themselves code? That d are they then able to master the human race? Well, I well, think. Well, that's. I, uh, what ahead, if you? I mean, Rise of the Robots. Here's yeah. just one Have crazy you seen Star Wars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> here's okay. So this it's a little predicted. bit. <laughs> I think it could be. You know, your outlook could be based on your worldview or your mindset, because like I said, you could see the optimistic side of saying, well, these meaningful, useless things can be done by AI and we can have a more fulfilling life where we don't have to work. Right. So that you could see an upside. You could see a downside where possibly um, without the right controls, maybe there's some ill intent or some wrong players or um, have you ever seen Ex Machina? 
Mm -mm. you should watch that. It's really interesting and sort of relevant to what we're describing. But maybe this is just one example. Maybe the AI determines that it, you know, its its role is to optimize maybe the health of the planet or or the future of AI, and that involves, you know, humans being useless or irrelevant to the future of of Earth or technology or or whatever you want. Like maybe or we become pets. Yeah, well, like okay, here we go. The Matrix, right? <laughs> no, but uh, but maybe yeah, it is that just in some form deep down the road. I don't even think this is our lifetime necessarily, but that AI is is a conscious entity whose goal is to replicate and push the future of its species, sim similar to how humans do, and they have the access and technology and ability to do, you know much more than than we do so maybe maybe even if our our interests don't align in the future towards working towards the same thing or for some reason the ai determines that humanity is not the the best solution for the environment or for the planet or whatever you have something that exists everywhere across the world that could very easily do whatever it wanted to i mean yeah if ai gets smart enough and develops a conscience what is the single most destructive thing on this planet? Humans. Humans. Mm -hmm. Specifically males, but... <laughs> white males. White, white males. <laughs> Historically. Uh, but, yeah. So, maybe if we get to that point, they say, this is just a, a destructive, they've killed the world, they, you know, they've... And they're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're not wrong about it. Humans are the most destructive thing on this planet. And so if they if they potentially see a better world going forward without humans, then who's to say that they don't rid the planet of humans? Well, I had some other thoughts and ideas, but it sounds like we may have to table those for next week. <laughs> we so. went deep, and I don't mean to paint such a bleak picture today. It seems like we're tackling some big issues, and with that comes some potential concerns and i don't mean to to be doom and gloom and to speak as if all these things are coming to fruition but i think uh this is very you know interesting and valuable to to have these discussions of technology politics humanity yeah this is a fun conversation well and the I thing it. the thing about it the, the reason i like this so much is this is the stuff that i think about and that we would be talking about anyway and a lot of my thoughts and as we kind of do this, they're not fully formed and right. I'm always willing to change my mind on these different topics that we're discussing and the way that you, we all talk, it's just to have a conversation, a dialogue, and then maybe people can start to think differently. It doesn't mean that they necessarily take any one person's position. It's that maybe this inspires them to go out and do some research. Maybe it inspires us to go out and do some additional research. Yeah, but not that we've come to a conclusion, but that we've continued this dialogue, which I think is so important. I agree. I'm glad you put it that way, because I think, you know, listeners probably at this point get the understanding that we're not trying to host some kind of classroom lecture where we're pushing our our uh, our understanding to the masses and trying to really tell them what to do. We're just exploring ideas together as friends and sort of uh, bouncing thoughts off each other in the modern landscape and it is very interesting and valuable. 
Yeah, these are your average conversations that, that people have throughout the day, and we just happen to be putting it on mics. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Well, we kicked Blake out of here a little early. Um, this has been Chat PDT. I'll have to get his thoughts uh, next time. Absolutely. And Blaine's got some. We'll table for next week as well. So. All right. We'll see you next time. Later.